Well, in March of 2020, I was standing in, of all places, the streets of Tombstone, Arizona. I was out on the West Coast on a tour with uh, Sidewalk Prophets, and we had a show in Phoenix that day. Uh, but I noticed on the map that uh, Tombstone was only about an hour and 20 minutes or so away. So I decided to go down there to kind of see all the stuff about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday and all that stuff. And I was standing in front of the OK Corral where they had the famous gunfight when I got a message from the tour on my phone. It said, hey, man, we're not exactly sure what's going on, but apparently there's this virus. Uh, Mercy Me just canceled their tour. Major League Baseball just canceled all of their spring games. Uh, we're going to do the show in Phoenix tonight, but then we're all going home. Oh, but don't worry. We'll start doing shows again in April. Uh, and for the next year plus, uh, the Christian music industry was basically shut down. The guys I do ministry with uh, were instead uh, driving Uber or DoorDash or uh, working construction jobs. We all did uh, to be able to do whatever we needed to to, to, to keep our, our families afloat. I went back up to Phoenix that night, and we did the show, and I called my wife and said, I'll just get a flight home in the morning. And I quickly found out that uh, the uh, flights were all being canceled as well. So frantically, I start calling around looking for a rental car, and after about four or five calls, I, I located a rental car. I called my wife and I said, honey, I'm going to drive from Phoenix, Arizona, all the way home to Indianapolis. She said, that's great. I need you to stop in every major city along the way at a Target or a grocery store and find us some toilet paper. <laughs> and so in less than 24 hours' time, I went from this like, really cool Christian music tour with all these bands to now I'm on AngelSoft tour. And uh, if we ever have another situation and you run low, don't go out to Albuquerque or Lubbock or Dallas, but Oklahoma City had plenty. I don't even know why. So some free information there for you this morning. Um, but I got home, and uh, as many of you can relate, uh, man, things were different. Uh, people uh, losing their jobs, having to change jobs. We knew people in Indianapolis that lost their businesses that um, some of them had been passed down from their parents or their grandparents, and they didn't survive it. Uh, probably everybody in here knows someone who was sick or had the virus at one point or another. Um, we knew a lot of people that weren't able to uh, go and even visit loved ones who were ill and sadly, in some cases, not able to attend funerals, not able to attend weddings. About midway through 2020 in the summertime, I started getting calls from churches, mostly from, from elders of churches, leadership, most of them saying the, the same thing. Our minister, our pastor has been going nonstop since this pandemic began. He just needs a break. Uh, could you come in and preach one Sunday? And so I started preaching uh, late that summer of 2020 and it didn't take very many weeks of standing up in front of audiences to see on the faces that people were in desperate need of encouragement. And past that, as I began to pray about it and begin to process and, and, and consider what God would have me to say, I felt as though a lot of us, myself included, also needed some reminders. And when I say a reminder, this is what I'm referring to. Guys, even in a, a tough couple of years, a tough stretch in this country, we, we are still very, very fortunate. We're, we're very blessed people. And I know it's not popular to say this anymore. I don't much care. We're fortunate we live here. We're fortunate to be Americans. And I don't say that because we've got beautiful buildings or, or we've got SUVs out here in the parking lot or bank accounts or houses. That, that stuff doesn't make us blessed. Our, our resources don't make us blessed. Our resources make us responsible. Our blessing is Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross does for us today and into eternity. He is our blessing. And I don't know about you, 
But man, I'm glad I was born somewhere where somebody loved me enough to tell me about him. Before the pandemic happened, I had, I had kind of become a, uh, well, a globetrotter without a basketball. Several missions trips a year. I've been to Africa many times, uh, South American countries, Central American countries like El Salvador, the Dominican, and Haiti. And um, I, I started to think about those trips and the things that I saw around this world as I, as I was preaching that summer. And I kept coming back to one particular trip I took right before the pandemic when I went to Ethiopia. Now, if you're geographically challenged like myself, I, I got the call from the guy, I said, hey, you wanna go on a mission trip to Ethiopia? I said, yeah. Went home and Googled Ethiopia. I, I, I knew it was in Africa, but I didn't remember where. So it's on the east coast of Africa. It's right above Kenya, right beside Uganda. And the only thing I really knew about Ethiopia was from my childhood, from the, from the 1980s. I'll date myself here a bit. How many of you guys remember back in the 1980s when Stevie Wonder and uh, uh, Willie Nelson, Ray Charles, Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, all these guys got together and they recorded a song. Do you guys remember this? Yeah, what was it called? I heard somebody over here. We are the world. Uh, who said that? There's somebody right up. Oh, yeah, right over here on the corner. Sir, you win this lovely keyboard. Uh, is our music trivia winner this morning. You can pick that up after service, and I'm not responsible. Um, we are the world. Now, I remember this vividly because when I was a kid, every Saturday morning I would turn on the radio. See, that's how we used to listen to music back in the day. We had this little box called a radio. We would turn it on, and songs would come out. <laughs> it was pretty cool. And every Saturday morning for almost a year, I would turn on my radio, and I would hear the exact same thing. Coming in this week at number one, USA for Africa, and we are the world. I'm Casey Kasem. Almost one year, that song was number one. But what I didn't know as a kid was, and this is a true story, none of those musicians took any pay for recording that song. Instead, they funneled all of the proceeds into the famines that were taking place on the continent of Africa, largely in Ethiopia. Then that summer, they did Live Aid, the big concert at Wembley Stadium in London and the Rolling Stones and Beastie Boys and Queen and all these groups went there and, and played and they did the same thing. They poured those, those resources into the famines. I can tell you from having been there several times, economically, it worked. Over the last 35 years as a result of that effort, the economy in Ethiopia has gone from a place of complete and total despair to near respectability. But that's not even the cool part. When I went to Ethiopia, I heard someone say something strange the first day I was there. I did not know Jesus Christ until we are the world. I thought, that was a completely secular thing. What, what's that guy talking about? Two days later, I heard somebody else reference it. So I asked one of the pastors there what they were talking about. He said, we have to understand to, to, to undertake such a massive endeavor to be able to distribute that much food and clean water to a, to a country. A lot of great people came here to work and to make sure that happened. The hands and feet of Jesus were in action through that effort. And as a result, the gospel was proclaimed in Ethiopia like never before. Isn't it amazing how God can take something that's completely secular in nature and use it for the good of the kingdom? It's incredible. Well, right before that, as we're flying across the Atlantic Ocean, it finally occurred to me, I'm, I'm a little slow, what are we going to eat for the next couple weeks? 
I've been on a lot of missions trips, but I was like, this is Ethiopia. This is different. They used to not have food there. And before you judge me, listen, I'm in a different church every Sunday morning. And I have to say, um, you guys are doing a great job here. I was out there to the cafe. It's kind of a new ministry to churches over the last 10 or 20 years. Um, Not everybody has a cafe, but almost every church has, typically it's an elderly lady, and she usually is carrying a little white box. And it doesn't matter what city, state, church I'm in, the little old lady with the white box typically comes up to me before service and says the same thing. Would you like a donut, son? And every time they ask me that question, I think the exact same thing. Look at me. Of course I'd like a donut. I mean, I'd like a whole box of donuts if you got them. I'm going to ask a chubby guy if he wants a donut, right? So I'm kind of sweating this whole thing, you know, as we're flying in there. You know, I'm thinking about it. And, of course, we, we land, and they take us to this ministry center. And they said, these guys are going to tell us what we're going to be doing for the next three weeks while we're here. Well, as everybody's going in and starting to pray and really kind of getting the right mindset and and really focus on Jesus, I noticed next door to the ministry center, there's another big white cinder block building with a huge sign that says such and such pizzeria. So they're going in to pray. I'm running over here looking in the plate glass window. And what I see is what looks like our New York style pizza. It looked great. Then I, and I thought to myself, you know, if nothing else, I know I can come back here. But then I went into the ministry center, and that's when things just got kind of strange. The guy that was leading our trip, he was a local pastor from the capital there in Addis Ababa. And he addressed our group, and he said, Today, we are traveling to Project 512. We are going to meet children who have been sponsored by people all around the globe to receive an education, to gain a vocational skill, and to receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. First, we will go to the classroom and see the children get their education. Then we will go next door to chapel and have worship with the children. And after chapel, we will go next door for lunch at a pizza place. I thought, wait a minute. So you're telling me there's a pizza place here. There's one where we're going. We drove 15 minutes to get to this ministry center. And along the way, I counted another 10 or 11 pizza places. So before we even went into the school, I went to the pastor and I said, look, I don't want to offend anybody, but... Like, I didn't really picture pizza and Ethiopia together. What gifts? And he wasn't trying to be funny, but he looked at me and he said, Oh, yes, you must realize Ethiopia is the one African country that has never been ruled from the outside. Years ago, Mussolini comes to rule us, but we drive him back and we defeat his army. But we keep his food. We like it. So for the next three weeks, every day, I kid you not, I had lasagna, calzone, stromboli. I gained weight in Ethiopia. I didn't even think that was possible. Also found out, for the cafe lovers here, that uh, coffee was born in Ethiopia. And every single day I was there, I had the best coffee I've ever had in my life. But more than the food or the coffee or the unintended sense of humor of the Ethiopian people, I mean, I laughed a lot on that trip. I fell in love with the heart of the people, and I gained a perspective change that God knew I was going to need for 2020, and that he he would want me to share going forward. That first day, you know, we went to the school and over to the chapel and got lunch, and we came back to the school, and we met a young family. This young mother who had been abandoned, a single mom, she had three kids. She had a baby girl that she was holding. She had about a three- or four-year-old little boy. And then she had a seven-year-old son who was attending 
that, that center that day, attending school for the very first time. It was his first day of school ever. Somebody here in America sponsored him so that he could go. At the end of the day, the young mother said to us, we would love for you to come home after school and, and, and see our home. We agreed to it, and, and as soon as we did, the people there at the, at the center, they, they came to us and said, please understand, this is their first day here ever. We are working diligently to find a suitable place for this young mother and her children to live. I thought, where are we going? After school, she led us down through the city, through the capital. It's just row after row after row of these little corrugated metal boxes, little tin shanties. Any of you guys that may have served in the military, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just went on and on. We eventually came down into the center of town and there was this huge landfill, massive garbage yard, several football fields big. Garbage was stacked 20 feet high. I asked the pastor, I said, why are we going in here? He said, well, when we discovered this family, we also discovered a community of about 11 or 12 families that are making their home here in the landfill. I said, people are living here? He said, yeah. We got down into the middle of that landfill and there they were. These folks had burrowed out a cave or like a cavern underneath of these massive garbage piles and that's where they were living with their children, their infants, under 20 feet of garbage. One of the families invited me into their space. And they moved a, a bucket over there so I could sit down, and they handed me, they had a little baby girl as well. They handed her to me. In church, the whole time I was in there, I held her like this. I leaned over her because the whole time we were in there, there was just liquid dripping out of the garbage on us. You couldn't even breathe in there. A pastor prayed with the families and assured them, we will have you out of here in the next 24 hours. We're working, we're gonna get you out of here. Then we proceeded up to the side of the hill with this young mother. She led us to a building. It was sitting on a cinder block foundation and it looked like somebody had taken a sledgehammer to the bottom, there was a big hole there. She handed her baby off to one of our guys and got on her hands and knees and shined a light in that hole. She said, this is where my children and I sleep, this is where we stay and keep our things. We all looked in there. It was just a couple of blankets laying on the ground, bowl and a wooden spoon. That was it. We got up there. We, we grabbed hands with her and her kids. We made a little prayer circle. And I remember saying to her, all right, so pastor's going to get you guys out of here. But how can I pray for you today? How can I pray for you right now? I was not expecting her response. She just lit up. I mean, her smile went from ear to ear. And I'll never forget, she said, Oh my goodness, you would pray for us? <sighs> Tell God thank you because we lack nothing. Now, church, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say if you had to go out those doors today and go in town and find a building with a hole in the bottom of it and lay down on the ground tonight, you wouldn't say you lack nothing, you'd say you have nothing. Perspective. This young lady knew, I don't have anything materialistically, but I have my family and we have our God. We lack nothing.
this morning, if you brought your Bibles, and you guys watching at home, if you've got a Bible nearby, I want to start this morning in Luke chapter 10. Now, whether you've gone to church for 50 years or 50 minutes, you've probably heard referenced the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, this is where we find that story. We find it in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus said. How do you read it? The man replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem into Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and left him there half dead. A priest happened to be walking down the road, and when he came to where the man was, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after this man until I return, and I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you might have. Which one of these three men do you suppose was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Church today, if you have ever said the words, yes, Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior, you have accepted the ministry of serving others. It's what you're called to. You have accepted the call to serve, to do something the song says. Jesus tried to impart this idea on one of his closest friends before he left this earth. In John 21, he has a conversation with Peter, and at the end of it, he says three little words to Peter that completely changes the rest of Peter's life. Now, don't ask young kids about that. I asked a bunch of first grade boys a while back, what were three of the last words Jesus said to his good friend Peter? This one little boy goes, Eat your spinach? No. Maybe those were the last three words Jesus said to Popeye. But Jesus and Peter are having this conversation, and this is after three and a half years of doing life together, building campfires, eating meals, going fishing. Peter and Jesus walked on the water together. In fact, Peter saw Jesus do all kind of stuff he couldn't explain. Then Peter watched Jesus die on a cross. He watched them take his body off of that cross and place it in a tomb, and an army of soldiers put a boulder in front of that tomb. But a short while later, Peter came back and saw not only was that boulder gone, but so was Jesus. And now in John 21, he sits there face to face with this Jesus who has beaten death, who has beaten the grave. They're having a conversation, and Jesus takes things in a completely different direction. Hey, Peter, do you love me? course I love you, Jesus. 
yeah, but Peter, do you love me? Lord, you just asked me that question like 10 seconds ago. You know I love you. I love you very much. But then the word of God tells us, Jesus asked Peter a third time, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Peter knew Jesus' style. He knew he was getting at something. He, he may have even been hurt by this line of reasoning. Like, where are we going with this? Why are you picking on me? Lord, you know all things. Surely you must know that I love you. You just asked me three times. I told you three times that I love you. I like to imagine Jesus looking at Peter and saying, Peter, you know what? If I, if I ask you a hundred times, you'll say it a hundred times. Saying it and living it is two different things. Then the word of God tells us, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, if you really love me, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. You, you say you love me. You're here in fellowship with us. You're praying. You're singing the songs. I love that. I do. But man, if you really love me, feed my sheep. I was born in August 1968. That's right, I'm 79 years old. And the moment I was born, I was placed immediately into an orphanage. My birth mother couldn't take care of me, and I um, just found out in recent years that she didn't want to. So her family didn't get involved, and I started my life in and out of foster homes and foster care. Uncared for, unwanted orphan. But while all that was taking place across town, there was a 17-year-old girl, a teenager, writing her husband-to-be a letter. See, she had just graduated high school. They just got engaged, and one week later, that young man got drafted into the U.S. Army and went off to serve in the Vietnam War. So he's on the other side of the earth. One day she wrote him a letter. She said, I've been praying for you every day since you left here. I pray today, wherever you're at, you're safe. I've been praying this war would end and, and all of you guys would just come back home. But every day when I've been praying, God has been laying on my heart this calling, this desire to be a mom. I really think that's why God put me on this earth. I'm supposed to be a mommy. And when I pray... I don't think God wants me to wait till you get back, we get married, have kids. I think God wants me to be a mom right now. Now that GI got that letter, he was excited, you know. Say what? I wish I could have seen his face. But then he prayed about it, and he write, wrote her a letter back. He said, you go find a child who has nothing. Who has no one. We'll take him in, and we'll raise him together as our own. So she started looking. 
during the process, and it was a process. He got back, they got married, and a short time after that, they walked into the room where I was being kept, walked right up to my crib. They picked me. Actually, my mom heard me tell this story years ago, and she came up afterwards, and she was like, you know, we went in there to find a little girl. I said, Mom, you missed it by a long shot. But she said, well, I heard your voice. We walked in that room, and all the kids were quiet, not you. You were over there laughing and carrying on, and I thought to myself, I don't know the first thing about that weird little kid over there. He's not my blood. I don't even know what his name is. But I know he needs a mommy. So she picked me up out of there, and along with her 21-year-old husband, they took me home, and for the next 18 years, no, for the next 40 years, anytime I needed anything, I always had it. Roof over my head, clothes on my back, shoes on my feet. I got to play baseball and go to school. I was taken to church even when I didn't want to go. I was that age, you know. But that's the first time I ever heard anything about God or Jesus or anything like that was when my mom would take me to church on Sunday. There's not a single day that goes by in my life where I don't thank God for her and what she decided to do for me. You guys know what James 1.27 says? Don't worry, no one else does either. James 1.27 is one of those verses we don't talk about much in church. I don't know why. James 1.27 out of the NIV says this. Religion that God accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And don't be polluted by the world. That's what the Word of God says. Acceptable religion in God's eyes. It's looking after those in need. I love that verse. I told you about the first day in Ethiopia. I'm going to tell you about the last day, and then I'm going to give you three challenges, and we're going to pray. Last day, they said, hey, we've we, we got to drive across town. Our flight goes out at 6 o'clock, but we're going to make one more stop. I said, where are we going? They said, we're going to an orphanage. These guys didn't have any clue about my background. I was like, cool. We get there and go up on the hill to this orphanage, and sure enough, all the orphans were out back playing. Went out in this big old field, and they were playing football. Soccer. They were playing soccer. They, they call soccer football over there. They were playing soccer. We walk out there, and the kids are running back and forth, and all of a sudden, I noticed there's a one player about eight or nine years old, he's standing in the middle of the field and he's just looking straight over at us. It didn't take me too long to realize he was looking at me. His eyes got big and he started charging across the field. He was running right. I, I thought he was going to tackle me or something. I started to back up. He runs all the way up to me and he goes, Go Eagles! See, apparently he plays for the Eagles. So naturally, I looked back at him and said, Go! He lit up. He just loved it. I don't even know who they were playing, but now I was, I was rooting for the Eagles. Every time, he'd run up and down. Anytime something good would happen, he'd come over and give me five. There was a timeout, and he came over and asked me my name. I said, well, I'm Mr. Tony, and 
he said his name, and it had about 15 or 16 syllables in it. But one of them sounded like John. So I said, John, and he's give me the thumbs up, and he run back out on the field. Well, near the end of the game, he ran over and said something really strange. He was running by, and he said, Mr. Tony, after football, I want you to come meet my mama. I said, all right, John, I'm going to go meet mama. And I thought, wait, this is an orphanage. You know, what's he talking about? Game ended, and his coach brought him over. He said, John doesn't live here yet. He and his mother live right down here. So we go down this little path, and we come up on this little hut. And when I say a little hut, it was just greenery and bamboo. That's all it was. I went inside there, and I got to meet Mama. And I wasn't in there 10 minutes before I understood what was happening. She started to tell their story. She said when John was a baby, his father went off to work one morning, and uh, there was an accident, and he never came home. I've done the best I can for my son, but now doctors tell me I'm in stage four of cancer and they don't give me a lot of time. But a year ago, this project, this orphanage, the child fund, they approached me and they said, there are two newly married teenagers in America who live in Huntsville, Alabama. They want to help your son. I got goosebumps. Two teenagers helping a kid they never even met before, that's my story too. She said, since that time, my son gets to go to this school right here. And he's so fortunate, this is the best school in the area. He stays after school twice a week. They teach him to work on cars. When I'm gone and he becomes a man, he'll have a good job. They're teaching him to play football. And every day after school, he brings home food and clean water for us. We've never had this. Then she said, six months ago, my son received a letter from his sponsors. They told him about their relationship with Jesus Christ. They shared scriptures with my son. They told my son they loved him. My boy read that letter over and over and over that night. In the morning, he took it down to the church to show pastor. And about an hour later, pastor baptized him in that river right over there. Pastor brought him home to tell me the good news, and about an hour after that, I myself was in the exact same river doing the exact same thing. I could never repay this. And then she said, now I know because of our great God and two of his young servants in America, no matter when I leave this place, my boy will never be an orphan. I'm going to say something that might sound a little controversial, and then I'm going to clarify it. Church, we're not saved by the things we do. Well, Tony, Jesus calls us to serve, you know. What about the Great Commission? We're told to go. Yes. But without the grace of God and blood of Jesus Christ, we would be lost. But I've always found it interesting that Jesus himself said in Matthew 25, one day, all of us, are going to leave this place. We'll have our last day on this earth and we'll stand before him. And on that judgment day, according to the book of Matthew, the New Testament, the word of God, just like my mom heard my voice and just like I heard John's voice, we are all going to hear the voice of God. And according to God's word, 
There's going to be a one-question test. It's the only one we can find there in Scripture at judgment. God is going to look you in the face, and he's going to ask this question. So what did you do for the least of my brothers? Because I'll tell you, whatever you did for them, that's really what you did for me. What will we say, church? I think about that a lot. What will I say? I want to offer you three challenges today, and we're going to close. The first one is this. This is Jessica right here. Jessica lives in Guatemala. She's seven years old. And, um, you know, my birth mother didn't take care of me, but I wasn't a mistake. I was not a mistake. And neither is she. When we get finished today, there is a table. You go out these doors. I'm over right by the cafe. There's a table over there. And I put 30 kids out on that table this morning. We had 12 of them get sponsored in the first service. And so I'm looking for 18 people in this audience this morning who can walk out there, pick up one of these kids. That's the hardest part because they are all going to look at you. You walk out there, you pick one out, and there's a little envelope inside. You fill it out, leave the envelope with me. You take the picture and info of your child with you. And that child will receive everything we talked about with John, full education, vocational skill, food and clean water every day of their lives. And for some of these kids, that alone is life and death. You can write letters back and forth to them and say, you know what, Jessica, honey, you matter to God. He has a plan for your life, one to prosper you, not to harm you, one to give you hope and a future. That's what his word says. Okay, Tony, so if I do this, then what? You sponsor the child with just over a dollar a day. I gotta say this again, church, just over a dollar a day? Now, we talked about perspective. That is a small Coke at McDonald's. So I'm gonna ask a question now that I do every time I preach, and it's so great, because after I ask this question, everybody gets mad and they never have me back. It's awesome. How many of you guys, you've saved for decades, you've talked to your financial planners, you've diversified your portfolios, and today, you can now afford a small Coke at McDonald's. Anyone doing that well? Any one of you, a small Coke? This is the part where we all put our hands up. There's babies in the nursery right now. I was at a church a while back, and I said that, and this lady down front just blurted out, I get my drinks from Starbucks. I said, well, then you can help 10 of these kids. It is perspective. I know we can knock out that 18 on the table back there. I was in Mars, Pennsylvania a while back. You guys know where Mars is, right? I'd never even heard of it. But I get up there, and I preached on a Sunday morning at a small church up there, and there were nine people there. Nine. So I put three kids on the table. Thought I'd be a great man of faith. God, I know you can do a miracle this morning and get these three kids sponsored with these nine folks. Service ended. Preacher said amen to dismiss. As soon as he did, two elderly ladies on the back row turned and said, I want one. And the pastor said, save one for me. In less than 10 seconds, they were sponsored. I looked up at God and said, now you're just showing off. And he said, son, I ain't even started. The entire service, there was a man in the back corner, large African-American gentleman, huge. I mean, a mountain of a man. 
He came over to the table immediately and said, all three of them are gone. I said, yeah, but I just finished a tour with Jeremy Camp, and I got his bag here. There's about 30-something kids in there. He said, oh, can I look at them? I said, yeah. Went up, got my guitar, brought it down. He handed them back to me. I said, did you find one? He said, I'm just going to sponsor them all. I said, you're going to sponsor 35 kids? He says, I mean, is that cool? I said, yes, that's cool. And I reached up, and this guy's like 6'5". I hug him, you know. And he goes out. Pastor came over and said, did Aaron sponsor a child? I said, no. Aaron just sponsored all the kids, 35 of them. He said, well, you knew who that was, right? I said, I don't know who that was. He said, don't you watch football? Then I started to realize we're right outside of Pittsburgh. Was that guy one of the Steelers? Well, he was for 14 years. He just recently retired. But that was Aaron Smith, their defensive end. And I, can, I don't want to break your heart, but I can tell you, if you'd have had 300 in the bag, he would have taken them all. That's just who he is. So if any of you play for the Steelers <laughs> or the Browns or Eagles, I got the 18 on the table, but I got plenty more, okay? And uh, because of the pandemic, a lot of these kids have been waiting a long time. These are the kids nobody else wanted. Come out there and, and let's knock that table out, church. The second thing I want to challenge you to today, most of you were handed one of these when you came in. It's got this neat little code on there. You take your phone and you check it out. You flip it over, the card, and you're going to see on this website where you can get plugged into the ministries of this church. See, apparently there's opportunities to serve in this church. So if you can hold a baby, if you can shake a hand, if you can hug somebody, if you can play a cowbell, they can use you in this church. So get involved, guys. And then finally, the last thing that I want to say is this. If you have never made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, make that happen today. The invitation is always open, but there's going to be guys standing here during the, at the end of the service here. They'd love to welcome that decision. And I can tell you the angels in heaven will rejoice with you. Come, lay everything at the feet of Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Make that decision today. I'm going to pray for you guys, and um, we're going to get finished here. Thank you for letting me come and share. This is not some ministry like sales pitch thing. It's not some sermon to me. This is the outpouring of my life. I used to wonder when I looked back on my story, God started writing it 50 years ago, why things started the way they did. You know, everything happens for a reason. I wondered about that, and I'd prayed, and God took me to the other side of the earth and showed me 50 or 60 orphans playing in a field, and I realized if I'd been born there instead of here, I would have been on one of these packets. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to worship. Lord, thank you uh, for everything you've done for us, but most of all, this morning, Father, we want to thank you for your mercy, your grace, your son. Father, the, the, the idea that you loved us enough that you were willing to part with your only son, your only child to come to this earth to die for people like us, I don't think we'll ever fully understand it. This morning, with open arms, we just say thank you. God, I pray for this church that you will rise up an army of a couple hundred people right here in Moon Township, Father, that are ready to serve you, to be more like your son. Father, if that means there's somebody this morning going, man, I can spare a dollar a day so that a, a child could have a life, so a child could, could potentially know Jesus, I can do that, a dollar? Maybe there's somebody here today that's like, you know, I've been going here for a while and I have not really been involved. I, I need to get involved. I need to help out. I need to see what I can do. Maybe there's even somebody here today that's 
just knows somebody that lives down the street from them that has a need. Father, help us to indeed be the hands and feet of, of your son. God, I, I finally pray today that your spirit will move in this room. If there's anybody that doesn't know your son, that they will come to you today and that they'll cast their cares on you. Father, we love you and we thank you for this morning and all things. Thank you for being so good to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.